Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From you let my vindication come. Let your eyes see the right. I call upon you, for you will answer me. O God, incline your ear to me. Let me hear your words. Our opening hymn of praise is on the sheet. It's also on the screen. Give to our God immortal praise. And you're invited, if you're able and would like to, to stand as we sing. So we come to God in prayer, and after I've led us in prayer, we join together in the Lord's Prayer in our own first language, and whichever form is most familiar. So let's pray together. God of mercy and truth, we gather in the name of Jesus to offer our worship and praise. We bring our thanks for the countless benefits we enjoy without even needing to think about them. For clean water, hot and cold, at the turn of a tap. For food to eat this day, and more in the cupboard, the fridge or the freezer. For shops, shelves stacked high with items to choose from. For homes, in which we can work and play, rest and relax. For schools, colleges and universities. For hospitals and care homes. For employment available for so many of us. For local and national government. For freedom of expression and freedom of religion. For these and many, many more, we say thank you. We also recognise the failures and faults that have marred our days, and we confess them to you. For lights left on or taps left running, wasting natural resources... For food discarded and eaten because we bought too much or were greedy. For consumer goods we discarded because something new came along. 
for squabbles and fights, times when we refuse to share our time or our toys, for opportunities to learn that we squandered, for tasks carelessly left undone, for our grumbles and criticisms directed towards those who serve in government, for abuse of our own freedom and denial of the freedom of others. For these and for any others that come to mind, we say sorry. God of mercy and truth, accept our thanks. Forgive us our faults and failings and lead us onwards in the footsteps of Jesus who taught us when we pray to say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, to share this morning. I don't know if anybody who's small would like to come out um, so you can see the pictures. You don't have to. Um, I'm going to sit on the floor, even if nobody comes and joins me, because I actually prefer to tell stories sitting down. Anybody want to come and see so you can see the pictures? Okay. Well, I'll just sit here anyway. And you can't see me, so you'll have to listen all the more closely. This is called Fair is Fair. Zookeeper loved all of her animals, but she was especially fond of the hare, the giraffe, and the elephant, and she fed them herself every day. She gave hare a handful of food, she gave giraffe a wheelbarrow full, and she gave elephant a whole truckload. They were all healthy and happy because each day... They had just enough. One day, they were lounging under a shade of a giant tree, and each was speaking about how much the zookeeper must love them. Hare bragged, Did you know, zookeeper gives me a handful of food every day. 
and it's exactly enough. She must really love me. Giraffe laughed. Ha! Well, she must really love me because I get a whole wheelbarrow of food. What do you think of that? Elephant trumpeted out an even bigger laugh. Well then, said Elephant, I must be the most loved of all because I get an entire truckload. Not fair, shouted Hare. Why should you two get so much more than I? Not fair at all, said Giraffe to Hare. Zookeeper must love Elephant more than us. <coughs> Giraffe, Hare and Elephant looked at each other in silence. But I know how to make things fair, said Giraffe. When Zookeeper gives us our food, we can pile it together and split it evenly. That will be fair. And that's what they did. The next day, they piled all their food and they split it evenly. Each animal got the same amount. After eating a handful of food, Hare was stuffed. But he still had a large mound of food. And after eating a whole wheelbarrow of food, Giraffe was stuffed. But she still had a large pile of food. The elephant ate up all his food and he was still hungry. He gazed at the pile of foods that the hare and giraffe still had and he wanted to ask some. But he thought, well, fair is fair. And he walked round the pen with his stomach growling. Poor elephant. After several days, hare became fat from eating so much. And his leftover food towered over him and he thought he was going to be buried alive in his living space. Giraffe was getting fat too. She kept tripping over piles of leftover food. (coughs) Elephant was the most miserable of all. He was getting very skinny and pale and he was always hungry and grumpy. And even though they all said, well, fair is fair, none of them was healthy or happy. Zookeeper saw how the food towered over Hare, and how giraffe's knees were badly bruised, and how elephants had become skinny and grumpy. So she called a meeting under the giant shade tree. What's going on? Zookeeper asked. Giraffe explained how they all wanted to get the same amount of food so that everything would be fair. We don't want anyone to be loved more than anyone else. Is it fair for Elephant to be hungry while you two are buried in food, asked Zookeeper? The three animals thought about this and said, "Mm, no, that doesn't seem very fair. Elephant and giraffe agreed that it was not very fair at all. Zookeeper went on and said, Fairness isn't about everyone getting the same. Fairness is everyone getting what they need. And she gave a great big hug to Elephant and giraffe and to Hare. And then she gave each one just enough food And they didn't care how much it was or how much the others received because each one of them knew that they were loved. Thank you, Bonnie. Oops. I wonder how many of the grown-ups have seen this um, picture on the internet, on social media. Somebody trying to um, explore ideas of fairness and justice and equality when everybody gets the same isn't the same as equity when people get 
what they need, if you like. And so we have the picture of, of three people of different heights trying to see. I think it's a baseball game. Um, and the first picture, they're each standing on one box to see over the fence. And in the second picture, they've rearranged the boxes so that they can all see over the fence. But there are also other versions of this. And when I was looking this year, I came across um, a website called Story Based Strategy. And it said, don't just tell a different version of the same story. Change the story. And they put these three pictures up. So you've got equality. Everybody has one box behind a barrier. Equity. They've shared out the boxes so they can all see over the barrier. And then they've got liberation, where the barrier has been taken away. Um, some versions of that picture still have a, a chain fence. But in this version... No fence at all. So the barriers are gone. Everybody has got the same access to see the baseball game. And then on their website is a fourth version of the picture, which I find fascinating and challenging in equal measure. And basically it says, what would you draw in the fourth box? What would be your response to this challenge of fairness about, is it about sharing so that everybody has the same? Is it giving everybody the ability to see over the barrier? Is it about taking away the barriers? Or is it something else? I don't have an answer to that question. But I think it's a mighty fine question for all of us, however old or young we are, to take away and think about In our church, we aspire to be inclusive and fair. We don't always get it right, um, but it is something that for us is really important to work towards. And so a lot of the songs I've chosen this morning reflect some of those values, those aspirations that we have. And the one we're going to sing now, I don't think is particularly well known. I've known it for many, many years. Um, Just have a quick see if anybody does know it. The church is like a table, a table that is round, It has no sides or corners, no first or last, no honours. Here people are in oneness and love together bound. So it's the idea, if you all sat round the round table, a bit like King Arthur, um, nobody's at the top of the table, you're all equal. Does anybody apart from me know that song? And knows it? Hurrah, there's going to be a duet at least. (laughs) Okay, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, as you're not sure of it, should we say sat down? Would that be, would you be more comfortable sat down as you're not sure of it? Yeah, okay, we'll say sat down then. Thank you. Thank you.
Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And this is a selection from the letter of James. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. It is the same with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For, for if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the one in, who is poor you say, Stand there, or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. Yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits sin. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. But listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts on a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. 
one of the key themes that is explored in the letter of James relates to the attitudes expressed by and shown to those who have great wealth and those who live in poverty. Whilst some parts of the text relate to behaviour in everyday life, the main focus is actually life within the local faith community, with specific examples and explicit references that primarily relate to attitudes and actions within it. When we come to read and explore these verses, we can concentrate wholly on the specific example of wealth and poverty, or we can use it as an example from which to begin explorations of other questions about favouritism and justice. And it's not that one is inherently more valid than the other, they're just different, and each of them, I think, has some merit. We can quite legitimately pose a very specific question, such as, do you treat people who are materially wealthy differently from those who have little or no material wealth? Or, if you are comparatively wealthy, what temptations does that lead to that are inconsistent with your faith claims? And we can also ask much more general questions, such as, how do you behave towards one another within the local church? Or, who has power and who does not? In the course of this sermon, I'm going to try to do a little bit of both of those, and I hope that within the specific example and the more general considerations, we will find some hints of principles and attitudes that we as a a community of people committed to following Jesus should be working towards. I don't think we're ever going to get it right in this life, but that's not an excuse not to try. And I'm going to start with parts of the text that are referring to those who own land, and particularly at the end of the text. These people had, it seems, deliberately exploited and defrauded the labourers who had created the wealth for them. And it's very easy, it's maybe even natural for us to hear those words referring to other people, because we don't own vast tracts of land, and we don't employ people directly to work for us on a subsistence wage. We don't defraud people who are vulnerable, and we don't exploit the Earth's resources. Well, not directly anyway. But the truth is that on a global scale, every single one of us is wealthy. And the choices that we make about what we buy and where we buy it affect the lives of some of the most vulnerable people on the planet. I'm not saying that to guilt trip anybody but I think it's important for us to recognise and remind ourselves that by the accident of our birth or the serendipity of opportunities we took or decisions we made, we find ourselves living in one of the wealthiest and also one of the most unequal amongst the so-called developed nations in the world. According to some recent data, the top 10% of households in the UK have an income roughly nine times the bottom 10% of households. So the richest people, nine times the poorest people in our country. And if you live in a household that has a gross income of over £30,000, So that's however many people live in your house and you add it all together. If your gross income comes to over £30,000, you're in the top half of wealthy people in the United Kingdom. 50% of people are in households that have less than 30,000, 50% more than 30,000. I think what that means is the majority of us in this church are comparatively wealthy, even by UK standards. Um, If I added up what you pay me, uh, what um, I get to pay pension on, I pay pension on just under £30,000. So that means even I'm reasonably wealthy by UK standards. And that can make it quite troubling for us to read those parts of scriptures that refer to wealth and poverty. 
The end of James reminds me very much of the parable Jesus told about the rich man who tore down his barns in order to build bigger ones, only to find his life demanded from him that very night. Wealth, even relative wealth, can create an illusion of control over our destiny that is simply not justified. Our plans and dreams can crumble to dust and no amount of money can restore them. And even for those who are fortunate enough to live long, successful lives, achieving all the goals and accumulating wealth and possessions, the truth is there are no pockets in shrouds. You can't take it with you. What matters is how we use the resources we have in the here and now, because nobody is guaranteed a tomorrow. It's the choices that we make now, selfish or selfless, good or ill, that matter. But we all know that, don't we? You don't need me to tell you that one again. We also know that because of our relative wealth, we have the ability to make purchasing choices denied to those who live on the breadline. When we do our shopping, we're not, as a rule, restricted to the budget ranges and the things that are marked down because they're on their sell-by date or whatever it is. We can afford to choose the products that are fairly traded or organic or free-range or Rainforest Alliance or sustainably produced or whatever it might be. Our relative wealth gives us power, power that we need to exercise responsibly and generously. Of course, we can't directly solve all the problems about trade justice or people trafficking or animal welfare. They're huge and beyond our power to do. But our buying choices indirectly do make a difference. But you all know that. You've all known that for years. The key thing, I guess, is that money gives us power. Power gives us opportunity And what matters is how we use that power and opportunity. And if that's true outside the church, then surely it must be true also inside the church. And that's why I think it's reasonable to see the discussion here of rich and poor as an example or template for other factors that we might find it difficult to consider. We all know the old saying, don't we? Don't judge a book by its cover. And I have a feeling it's this idea, at least in part, that James has in mind when he describes this instance of two people arriving at a church to worship. One of the two people is obviously wealthy. With simple, unstated elegance, the cut of their clothes, their hairstyle, their shoes, their accessories, the perfume or aftershave they've got in, all of that exude wealth. The other person is equally obviously poor. They aren't homeless, and they're not somebody whose life story might stir our compassion. They're just somebody getting on with it despite having very little money. Their clothes are inexpensive and well-worn, perhaps patched, who knows, but they're clean and tidy. And yet overall, there's this vague aura of shabbiness, despite their best efforts. The door steward smiles at the wealthy person and shows them to a seat in a prominent position. Here, not only can they see... They can be seen. The poor person, though, is directed with a flick of the hand to a seat out of the way. We wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't treat somebody differently because of the way they looked or spoke. We wouldn't be beguiled by somebody who appeared wealthy or powerful. We wouldn't look down on someone because they were a bit scruffy or down at heel. So I wonder, 
I wonder if anybody found thoughts going through their heads when I turned up this morning in the scruffiest pair of jeans I can possess, which have a hole in the knee, and a Primark T-shirt. Most likely, because you know me by wet now, you knew it was just a stunt. You knew I was just trying to say something by what I was wearing. But what if it was a guest preacher or somebody who came here for the first time? What if it was one of these ministers? What if it was a black or Asian or mixed race minister? Or what if it was this minister? Haley is her name. Haley has HIV. And the treatment for HIV caused her to lose her hair. How would we feel if she walked in to lead our worship? Or one of these two Lutheran priests who are married to each other. How would we feel if they came to lead worship? Or this one, in a wheelchair with an assistance dog. Or this one, whose arms are covered in tattoos who spent time in prison before training for ministry. Or these, each of whom has body piercings in their mouths and their noses and various parts of their anatomy. It's easy to say that we treat everybody the same. It's easy to say that we're not prejudiced. But actually, it's really difficult not to be sometimes. It's not that we set out to have favourites. It's just that sometimes we feel more comfortable with some people than we do with others. It isn't deliberate. I'm sure it's not. But if you're anything like me, then at least to some degree you can be guilty of a kind of partiality of the kind of of which the writer cautions in the letter, favouring, even kowtowing to those who are powerful and who, if what he says is correct, will think nothing of letting us down or exploiting our kindness. Favouritism, treating someone better than others because of who or what they are, is a kind of injustice. It's not really different from discrimination to treat somebody worse because of who they are. And I think we have to hold those together in our explorations, who gains and who loses, who is favoured and who is demeaned, and how in our church can we model something that is more Christ-like, more in tune with the values that we hold together as a worshipping, inclusive, missionary, prophetic sacrificial, sacrificial even, community, or as I want to abbreviate it, wimps with Jesus. But before we move on to think about that briefly, um, just a couple of thoughts. I do think there is a difference between preference and prejudice. If we stick with physical appearance, I think it is acceptable to prefer that preachers are formally attired but it is not acceptable to disregard or disrespect those preachers who are attired casually. The quality of a person's spirituality or their gifts as a preacher are not determined by whether they shop at Primark or Prada. But a note of caution, I think, that even if preference is permissible, We need to be alert to the temptation to label as a preference something which can be perceived as or actually is prejudice, such as race or gender or sexuality or age. So here's a question to ponder when you get home. Imagine you had to go to the doctor to discuss an intimate personal condition 
what factors would inform your preferences about who they were? And is there any potential prejudice in that choice? There might be good reasons why you would prefer one doctor rather than another. There might be reasons that are not so good. A second thought relates to what can be known as snobbery. There is what my mother always calls inverse snobbery, where you view something with disdain because it is or can be associated with the opportunities afforded by material wealth. This often crops up, I think, in Baptist circles where there is an unhealthy anti-intellectualism that views with suspicion theological education dismissing it as worldly or unspiritual, as if somehow a minister is automatically going to be better because they haven't studied any books, you know, because God will give it to them directly. So there can be an inverse snobbery like that. There can also be a kind of intellectual or academic snobbery which disregards anything that comes from somebody whose formal qualifications are seen as inferior. <laughs> Education is a good thing, Absolutely but a person should not be viewed or treated differently because of their educational attainments, however great or small they may be. Uh, Not so long ago, I was seeing one of my consultants uh, on a routine visit, and he said, oh, I passed by your church the other day. Oh, right, did you say, you've got an awful lot of letters after your name, haven't you? Yeah. Shouldn't matter whether there are lots of letters or no letters. If it said, Reverend Katrina Gorton, full stop, or even just Katrina Gorton, full stop. That shouldn't matter. It should be the same. So another one to ponder when you get home. Have I got any kind of snobbery that affects my attitude to other people who might be leading worship? And how would I feel if I was the one who experienced that kind of inverted snobbery or intellectual snobbery, that I was considered less because of what I was or wasn't? Now, these are all things we know. I'm not telling you anything new. But it is perhaps good to remind ourselves that whilst humans judge by appearances, God knows what's going on inside. No matter how we view ourselves or others, God sees and God knows. God sees and knows all that is unique and precious and life-giving. And God sees and knows all that is damaged and disordered and death-dealing. We may be able to deceive ourselves and each other, but we can't deceive God. About a year ago, we began the process of approving an ethical policy for our church, and I was really proud that this was something we wanted to do. And here is just a little bit of what it says within that document. It says, Recognising our place within creation... We're committed to responsible stewardship of the earth's resources and the welfare of all animal life. We recognise the image of God in every human person and do not knowingly discriminate on grounds of age, race, gender, sexual orientation, marital statement or disability. We recognise the prophetic call to act justly and fairly in all aspects of our activities especially recognising the implications of our decisions for those directly or indirectly affected by our choices. This is expressed in our registration as a fair trade church. Now, those are great words, and I think we're doing a lot of work to live them out. But it's also worth thinking about that just a bit briefly. And I think Micah's words have something to help us here. Firstly, he says, do justice. As the story we explored earlier reminds us, it's not always so easy to work out what justice or fairness looks like. There aren't quick, easy answers. But it must mean, surely, that we recognise and affirm the equal intrinsic worth of every person on this planet. That no one is intrinsically better or worse more or less valuable because of who they are. It must mean, and I believe it does, that we continue to work out 
what it means for us to be an inclusive church that celebrates diversity. And yes, that means taking time to research and understand complex issues. It means listening carefully to those who feel undervalued or marginalised and to have our own complacency and perhaps unrecognised prejudice challenged, even if that's disappointing to discover. Not easy to do justice, but I honestly believe that we are, as a church, committed to trying to do so. Then to love mercy. Mercy is a quality that James makes reference to on more than one occasion. And he says, mercy covers over a multitude of sins. Mercy is an attitude, I think, that we have to keep on working at in our relationships with others and towards ourselves. Mercy means that when we disappoint each other, which we will, and when we feel undervalued or ignored, which we might, and if we consider ourselves to be marginalised or even demonised, we choose, however hard it is, to stick at it and carry on doing justice as best we can. All of us sometimes will feel that we're the underdog, we're the marginalised one, we're the one who is suffering. So we have to choose, do I be bitter and twisted, or do I adopt this attitude of mercy? And then to walk humbly with God. And whilst that's not explicitly a call to remain within the community of faith, surely that's where we find the companionship that keeps us going when we feel like giving up. It's hard work. It really is hard work. But in humility, never thinking we've got it all sussed and sorted, we keep on going forwards in faith. It's interesting that these are three verbs in the imperative, in the command, do, love, walk. And they carry within them a sense of ongoing action, of doing, of loving, and walking. Our aspiration to be a church in which all are welcome, in which everyone, whoever they are, is affirmed and included, able to exercise their God-given gifts and grow in faith, has to be, and I honestly do believe are, more than just words. Perhaps we don't move as far or as fast as some would prefer. I get that. Perhaps we move further and faster than others would like. I get that too. But I do hope and I do pray that we do it together. In the next few months, I am going to be thinking quite hard about some of this. I think it's important to think about. But I want to kind of say that, you know, I think this is stuff that we are all seeing as important. Stuff that matters to us that we are trying to live out day by day. James says, you'll do well if you really fulfill the command to love your neighbour as you love yourself. So whether it's here in church, whether it's at home, at work, or in a wider global context, this is our ultimate goal. To love each other as equals, in each of whom the image of God is glimpsed. Yes, it's hard work. And yes, we will probably never quite get there. But of this, surely, we can be sure. Jesus is Lord in our present imperfection. His power and love are for now and then forevermore. You're invited to stand if you're able as we sing together, Heaven Shall Not Wait.
apologies for losing the first verse off the screen. Our prayers of intercession today are based around the song Beauty for Brokenness. And the way it's going to work is we will remain seated and you're invited to join in singing the first two verses and then I will speak um, some short petitions and then we repeat that, the second two verses and some more petitions. And then the last verse and finally the chorus and then I will wrap up with some closing words and an amen. So hopefully we will arrive at the amen at the same point. So in song and in word, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. We pray for those who bear the consequences of systemic injustice, those who are victims of merciless regimes and oppressive practices, those whose voices are silenced or don't even know that they have voices. Confessing our complicity in corporate sinfulness, We seek your forgiveness and rededicate ourselves to work for justice for all humanity, showing mercy to all and endeavouring to follow in the footsteps of Christ. declared all of creation to be good and commended it to the safekeeping of humans made in your own image. We pray for those who live in fear of war or violence, those who till parched earth or have access only to poisoned water supplies, for all animal and plant life seemingly powerless in the face of human activity. Confessing our complicity in corporate sinfulness, we seek your forgiveness and rededicate ourselves to work for the good of all creation and the flourishing of every person. Light is our 
spoken and unspoken. God, who knows our hearts and minds better than we know them ourselves, accept our words and give us the courage we need to translate them into action. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Loving God, these are words of hope, that one day there will be justice and fairness for all, that the earth will be renewed completely and all creation experience the fullness of life. And it is this hope that inspires us to bring our gifts of money. So please help us to employ them wisely to fulfil your call upon us as a congregation of your people. Amen. Our closing hymn, O Lord, all the world belongs to you, and you are always making all things new. What is wrong you forgive, and the new life you give is what's turning this world upside down.
May the blessing of the triune God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, be upon us and upon all creation this day and every day. Amen.